You're now diving into the fish tank. Sitting down with Seth living, OJ, Juice, man, this is strictly for them true fans, dog fans, number one, of course y'all, this ain't no ordinary sports talk, dive up in that fish tank. Welcome back to the Fish Tank right here on the Miami Dolphins Podcast Network. Seth Levitt and the man with the best hands in the podcast business, OJ McDuffie. Juice, we're going back to your rookie year right now. Yes, we are. And then a little something, you know what I mean? That's what's up right there, Big Seth. You know I get when we get offensive guys on the show uh, oh, man. because, uh, you know, you like to go defense all the time when it comes to our podcast, man. But I do. We're on the right side of the ball right now, man. So let's get it. Let's get it popping, man. Yeah. Well, with that. Please welcome Scott Mitchell into the fish tank. And, and last minute notice, we reached out and that was it, man. It was just like, that's all we had to do was ask you. Scott, awesome. thank you for diving in. Yeah, I, I don't have a long-term memory. So if, if you got to hit me right now, <laughs> otherwise forget it. So I got to do it right now or it's never going to happen. <laughs> well, don't we all? We all, we're all affected by that, right, Scott? Man, it's yeah. crazy. It Strike is. while it's Friday, is right? hot. That's right. <laughs> That's exactly right. So, and we've got a lot to talk about. I mean, it's interesting. Your your time here in Miami was, relative to your entire career, was only kind of a short window, but there's so much to talk about, and I'm excited yeah. to do that. But before we get into all of it, I don't know how much football you watch these days, or if you're watching Hard Knocks, or if you turn it on ESPN, but did you turn on the television and kind of have to look twice and say, wait a minute, is that another left-handed quarterback throwing the ball for the Miami Dolphins? Okay, let me just a little disclosure about left-handed quarterbacks. Watching one is the worst thing in the world. Like all left-handed, <laughs> so funny throwing the football. Except for me, I look good doing it. But but all the other like Tua, it's like man, I just oh man, it just it's just hard. And he's he's awesome, you know. He's, he's having an incredible year. He Mike is. McDaniel's so fun to watch. I would love if I'm a quarterback to have that guy as my coach and just awesome. And then uh, Tyreek Hill, my goodness, it's like. Almost as good as, as OJ. I mean, it's, it's oh, like, hell. <laughs> yeah, it's it's fun to see the Dolphins do well. Uh, I, I have a tremendous soft spot in my heart for the Miami Dolphins, always will. And really what it's about for me is that's who picked me, right? That's who drafted me. That that Like they said, of all the people out there, we want you. And that always meant so much to me, still does to this day. I have unbelievably great memories of my time there living there, my teammates, my whole experience. I mean, it was it was incredible. Quite frankly, I wished I could have spent my entire career in Miami. And this thing called free agency came along and kind of kind of changed things quite a bit. You know, Scott, it's so funny to talk about the way lefty quarterbacks look. Like they, you've seen the people that have made to a righty and, and they show the mechanics and yeah. it looks normal. It looks so normal <laughs> when they, when they, when they do the mirror thing, when he's right. going right-handed and it's like, it's weird. You say that it's kind of like a left-handed jump shot to me too, you know? Same thing. We're just weird. Just in general. <laughs> I've seen, I've seen it in the mirror. Like I've, I, I, I happened to have a mirror. I don't know. One thing Joe Montana was on the TV and so it flipped it around and it looked like him throwing left hand. I go, that looks like every left hander. And, and so <laughs> it, it really is the normal. You, you remember Gary Stevens, right? The, of course. Our, oh, yeah. Gary was freaked out. So so we get dra- I get drafted, right? And, and he's like, I've never coached a left-handed quarterback. I don't know how to coach a left-handed quarterback. <laughs> he goes, we got to go out to practice early 
Because how are you going to get the center quarterback exchange? I mean, the center's going to have – is he going to have to snap it left-handed? You know, what about the laces? And I looked at him. I'm like, okay, this is this is professional football, right? I mean, <laughs> it's the same way. Like, they snap the ball. I'm, I'm going to get the laces the same if, it, if I was right or left-handed. We right. had to go out on the field, and I, we had to do it, like, in slow motion. And then he was like, okay, like, we're fine. So, yeah. <laughs> And and I don't know about you. I don't know if you ever played with a left-handed quarterback, uh, OJ. But do you go by Juice? Because yes. I remember you. So, I mean, because I'm happy to call you whatever you want. Whatever you want to call me, Scott. I'm good, man. Well, he got you as a rookie. See, yeah, he, he right. came Juice. I was, I was Otis. I was probably Otis McDuffie when you he saw was me. Otis so. McDuffie. <laughs> um, like like receivers say, it's different catching a ball from a left-handed quarterback with the spin. Yeah, I say that all the time, man, and and we'll talk. We'll definitely talk more about Gary because uh, he's he was definitely a big part of what we what we were doing back then, man. But but Scott, let's go back a little bit. You talk about you know you're a Utah guy, born and raised in Utah. You attended University of Utah, and, and then overnight, following your junior season, you are selected by the Miami Dolphins in the yeah. fourth round of the draft, and you're headed to probably the most non-Utah place in the country, <laughs> you have Miami, been. Florida. Oh. I mean. What was that transition like, man? Was it a culture shock? Uh, it, it was beyond a culture shock. And and not only just, just the whole culture, but like the, the climate. Like out west, it's like really dry. It can be 100 degrees and it's a nice day. And you can have, you know, 90-90 in Florida. And, and man, I'm sweating like crazy. You got to make me nervous. Uh, <laughs> we got you, dog. We got he's, you, man. He's thinking about being in South Florida. Yeah, I know, right? That's what it is. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so the weather, the humidity just killed me when I first got there. And that was May. You know, you get drafted, you go to the minicamp. So it was very different. What I remember most, though, really, it's like, like I adapted to all that. It was it was totally fine. And and people, you know, they gave me a hard time. You know, I, I've never had a drink in my life. And Marino was always like, man, if we win a Super Bowl, I'm going to get you drunk. You know, we're going <laughs> to. People couldn't believe that that's, you know, how my life was and that it's a pretty conservative lifestyle in, in so many ways. But I love South Florida. I love the culture of South Florida. It suited me very well. And, and it was it was really a tremendous, tremendous experience. But I remember the right after I got drafted, went into the locker room and I saw Dan Marino for the first time. Later on in my career, when I played for the Detroit Lions, they had this thing called the quarterback club. Mm-hmm. So all the quarterback, you go to Orlando, Florida, Hawaii, wherever. And so I knew Dan, right? We were teammates and all that stuff. And and But what was fun is to watch all of these other players. There was so much respect, so much fanboy from all of these guys. And these are the best quarterbacks in our era. You know, I give you a who's who of names and, you know, and it's like a lot of Hall of Famers, a lot of Super Bowl champions. And they all were just like, googling over over Dan Marino and and I'm telling you this is no joke I was the same way and I went to every meeting I sat right next to Dan Marino every day and I was just like I wanted to ask his to get his autograph like every day like and to me he was the coolest person I think I've ever like he was such a persona so like he was Dan Marino I can to this day remember walking into the old Miami Dolphins locker room, which I don't think you saw, OJ. I saw a minicamp. I yeah. did. 
Yeah, that was a nasty place. <laughs> and, but I remember just, and I walked around the corner and there he was. And I'm like, oh my goodness, this is, this is Dan Marino. So I think that was more of a shock to me was seeing Coach Shula because Coach Shula scared the heck out of me all the time. And <laughs> everybody. These were legendary people. And so that was really the culture shock to me more than just Utah to, to South Florida. I can imagine it would be. You know, it's funny also, I'm hearing you tell that story about Dan saying, if we win the Super Bowl, I'm going to get you drunk. So I, I don't drink either, never have, and for different reasons, uh, probably. But I just, that's just me. Yeah. And I worked for the Dolphins and now work for Jason Taylor. That's my day job. I've been, for the last 19 years, I run Jason Taylor's foundation. But when I worked for the team, he used to say the same thing. I'm not going to pressure you to drink, but if we win the Super Bowl, like literally the same thing. So he probably got it from another Pittsburgh guy that he knows. Unfortunately, neither of us had that experience, but uh, that was, yeah, that was kind of the same deal that he had on there. In prepping for this thing in the six hours, 16 hours since you, you said you would do it, I was doing some reading. And one of the things I read was that when you were drafted initially, you kind of felt, and I don't know if it was because it was your dream to be a starting quarterback, but it was like, here I am. And it's amazing that Dan Marino's there, but maybe this is the worst thing that could happen in my career because I'm never going to get to play behind this guy. But then you said it ended up being, for what you just said, having Don Shula there, having Dan Marino, it ended up being kind of the best thing that could have happened to you. I, I came out as a junior, and it was the first year, uh, 1989, Barry Sanders actually came out. He was like one of the few juniors. And then the yeah. 1990 draft, it was just an exodus. Uh, there, were, there were just a ton of guys. A lot of Hall of Famers uh, came out that year, and they were all juniors. And so uh, a lot of people didn't know anything about me. You know, they were kind of behind the eight ball. In fact, David Shula, he was the quarterback coach for the Cowboys, worked me out and actually told his dad about the workout. He says, the best workout, the best quarterback I saw in the draft was this guy out in Utah. I never talked to anyone from the Miami Dolphins. I never spoke oh, wow. to anyone. So I go through this pre-draft process, and everyone that I had talked to said, you're, you're a late first-round draft choice, no later than the second round. And I ended up going in the fourth round, and I think there were eight guys drafted before me. You know, you hear about the Brady Six. It's like, you know, I remember how many guys got drafted before me. And, and like, I was just so devastated because I made a choice to leave school early. I thought I'd made the worst decision of my life. And I remember after Coach Shula told me that the Dolphins had drafted me and I'm, I'm in my apartment, you know, it's, it's like about 6 o'clock at night. And I'm looking up at the ceiling just going, man, this sucks. You know, this is this horrible. Not only – did I go late, but also to the Dolphins. And they only keep like two guys, you know, they only keep two quarterbacks. And one of them is Dan Marino. It's not like, you know, he's going anywhere. And I just remember I went to that first mini camp, blown away. Like I go, I can't do this. Like watching mm -hmm. Dan Marino practice was like watching an artist painting the Sistine Chapel. I mean, it was just unbelievable every freaking day. Like it was so, so cool. And I just watched it that, and, and I was just, I was blown away. I just said, I can't do this. I don't think I can do this. And I went home feeling sorry for myself. I'm just like, this sucks, you know? And I, and I just said, look, like it or not, this is your shot. Like there's no redos. There's no, Hey, could I get drafted over again? Could I, could I change my mind? It's like, this is your lot and you have to make the most of it. So I just put it in my mind that I was going to the Miami Dolphins to be the starting quarterback. And it just changed my whole focus. In fact, there's there are newspaper articles, because I told the reporters that 
later I said, and they just laughed at me and I'm sure everyone laughed at me, but if I didn't have that mindset, I would have never made it in, in the NFL. And so my, my path was different and man, it was special sitting between Dan Marino and Don Shula for four years. And I learned a lifetime of experience at football, just being there and watching that every day and, and witnessing it. And it was, it was really a blessing uh, for me. But later, uh, Jeff George, who was the first pick in the draft my year, we had a conversation. And it was funny because it was after we had retired. I go, man, I was so envious of you. You were the first pick in the draft. You were a quarterback. You know, you were a contemporary. And, and I just hated you, you know, because you were. And he goes, dude, hmm. I was so envious of you. I was stuck on an island. I would have killed to have had a mentor. He goes, I I just, I learned the hard way, the hard, hard way. I would have loved to have had a coach like Shula to have a mentor like Dan Marino. He goes, my whole career, I was envious of you because I could see how it really had helped you in your career and in your development. So, you know, it's funny how these things we look at in our life that we just see them as these disappointments, you know, and failures, and they turn out to be really the very best thing. I I would not give up my time being around Dan Marino and Don Shula for any, it's one of the great moments of my career. It really is. And, and it's just a very, very special time. That's incredible. That is incredible. Uh, what an incredible story. And, you know, even and thinking about Jeff George and the trials and tribulations. And I mean, it really goes back to that cliche of the grass is always yeah. greener. And the fact that you guys were looking at each other and uh, that is wild. And what, you know, thinking about, um, Sorry, there's so much to process there. It's really cool stuff, Scott. But thinking about you being in the media, once you got past the fact that, wow, that is Dan Marino, and now you're going to work and you're sitting there, and you say you learned so much from him. And it's funny because now he works for the team. He's not in a coaching position, but he'll hang out in the quarterback room every now and then, and he'll they'll turn to him and, hey, Dan, what do you see, just to get a, get Dan Marino's perspective. What was that like for you? Uh, because I know that jump from college football to, to the complex offenses that exist in the pros. But what was that like for you to sit down there and be able to to truly get inside the mind of a passer like that in that meeting room? I didn't fully appreciate how great it was because it's it's all I knew. I got drafted into it, right? It's all I knew. And I'm there for four years and then I leave. Right. And when I left, I was like, oh. Oh, I see how, it, and it, it, you know, how so much of it was, I've, I've heard Tom Brady say this not too long ago. He says, look, if they're all short, throw it deep. And if they're all deep, throw it short. And if they're inside, run it outside. And if they're outside, run it inside, right? It's not a complicated game. <laughs> and I think what was so beautiful about the system that we ran in Miami, which was very hard to learn. Like it was, it was a hard system to learn and there was a lot of adjustment to it. And, but, but man, when you learned it, it was like, it was just like, you never felt like you were in, in a bad position. You know, you never felt like you were in a bad, in fact, you were, you were, you were responsible to get yourself into a good play. Coach Shula, my first day, I mean, I'm, I, I am off the bus pulling into St. Thomas and the first thing they hand me is a playbook. They go, we have a meeting at 8.30 and practice is at 9 o'clock. And by the way, you call your own plays in practice. And I go, like, I'm a, like, I don't know any of this. And, and I was just, you know, I was, I was up all night trying to 
you know, I figured if I learned like three plays, I'd be all right. Cause I couldn't call what Marino called. Cause then they'd think I'm just copying him. So I had to, I had to, if I knew three plays, I'd be okay. But Shula goes, look, I can have the best plays in the world, but if you don't have confidence in them and if you don't believe them, they don't work. And on top of that, it makes you learn the playbook and it sucked. Like in the beginning, it was brutal. It was hard, but it was the smartest thing I've ever seen in my career in the NFL. And so what, what happened like Marino, he just, he understood one, he just understood the system so well. He knew where things were going to happen before they happened. You know, his anticipation, his throw, you know, it was just, it was just amazing, but he had this ability to really break things down and not overcomplicate it. A lot of people think it's this really complicated game, but it was really, it was just, I can't even tell you how often I think about this because I think about football strategy all the time and how dumb so many people are, right? It's like they just can't seem to figure it out. And it, and it was really <laughs> about, you know, he, I think so many players, they get focused on a guy. Like this is my first option. And, and their focus is, is on kind of that guy and who's around him. And Marino's focus was really, he's like, you got to see the picture. You, you don't see a guy or you don't, you, you see the whole picture and how the secondary and the, and the linebackers are, are working conjunction and how your route combinations are trying to influence however you're trying to attack the team. But if you don't see the picture, then you're going to be late, you know? And so it, it was, it was really, I think for me, really breaking the game down into simplicity and, and seeing a picture. Right. And of course, you know, he gave me his rules, like the first, like we're in the stretching line right after I'm drafted. And he goes, you need to understand the rules. So here are the rules. If Danny ain't throwing, we ain't going. <laughs> <laughs> Right. And rule number two is pick a guy and let it fly. And I'm telling you, it is so true. And he goes, you cannot beat a perfect throw. Like, I don't care how good you're. De- if you have the perfect throw, you can't. And so so these are the things, you know, I heard from Dan Marino. And then the other one was the day you were born. And you don't know this because you were just being born. But the day you were born, your mother cried. She cried all day long because you weren't Dan Marino. <laughs> Oh my this, god! This is, this, is, this is a true story. This is a true. No, oh, no, no. I haven't told you yet. You wait. So, so I go to I go to Detroit, right? And I'm I'm this I'm like like uh, you know this hot free agent, you know, and sign this deal, and everyone's like, how did they give that guy that much money, you know? And the whole deal over three years was eleven and a half million dollars for three. Like the salary cap was thirty five million dollars for an entire team, right? Yeah. And quarterbacks are probably making more than that in a season now. Right. But uh, so I get to Detroit, and my first year we played pretty good, and I got injured, and then and then we start my second year, and we start zero and three. And Wayne Fonts, the head coach, he goes, "All right." He brings all these players into his office, and he goes, "What's the deal?" And to a man, they all said, "Man, you brought this quarterback here. Let him throw the ball." So we're zero and three, and we're going into a bye week. And I sit down with our offensive coordinator, Tom Moore. And we changed, we simplified our whole offense. 
and we went to about eight basic passing plays, and they were all Miami Dolphin. <laughs> okay. And we started, and we played the San Francisco 49ers, who had just won the Super Bowl on Monday Night Football. They're 3 0, we're 0 and 3, and we end up beating them. In that year, I threw for 4,400 yards, had 33 touchdowns. Herman Moore had 100 receptions, over 1,000 yards receiving. Brett Perriman had over 100 receptions, over 1,000 yards. Barry Sanders rushed for 1,500 yards. And we all just laughed, right? And But it was just about getting the ball to your playmakers, but doing it in a way that's, you know, kind of you cut out a lot of – you just let people play, right. you know, kind of thing. And Tom Moore – was fired a year later, went to the Indianapolis Colts and implemented that system with Peyton Manning. Mm. So I got Bobby Ross and three yards in a cloud of dust and Peyton <laughs> Manning got our, our offense. Right. And to this day, so, so Tom's still coaching. He's still, uh, you know, he was, he was in Tampa with Bruce Arians and he goes, we're still running those same concepts with Tom Brady and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and Bruce Arians. Wow. And that's how good that offense was and those concepts. And, and, and so, you know, having that and experiencing that and seeing that it holds up over time, you know, it was a great thing to be a part of. Man, oh man, that is. <laughs> that's, that's so fun. Yeah, that's that's a great story because it's it really goes back to when you started with the, the playbook from Shula. Because I remember I got like one opportunity in a, in a mini camp, Scott, with the number ones, and right. they called a play. Danny called a play. Obviously, I didn't know it because uh, I didn't. <laughs> I wasn't given the same advice to learn the whole playbook like you were because had we hadn't installed it yet, man. So um, that was my last time running with the ones for a very 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 long time so i definitely get that part man but the fact that our that playbook which was in, in my opinion probably one of the dumbest playbooks but so brilliant in the way you had the concepts worked out because think about it you know you line up in one receiver or five receivers you call 84 or you call 85 or you call 86 or you call 87 you know like you better know if you're playing fullback tight end split yeah. slot or yeah. whatever whatever it might be man so it's all memorization Instead of like nowadays when they tell everybody slot this, uh, yeah. split that, Z this, you know what I mean? It was crazy. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it really was. And the thing that what to me that I really appreciated because I, I also was coached with, from Brian Billick, who I, so I went, I played in Baltimore, and Brian Brian's philosophy was if you run a play, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna run that same play for four more weeks because I know the defense gets, you know, four weeks of game film. So I'm not going to, I'm not going to run that. And so you, you never got good at anything. And from the day I got to the Miami Dolphins, that system never changed till the time I left. And you hear the guys before me, they're like, yeah, back in 1973 on Wednesday, you know, in November, it was the same practice. And, and, that, and, and, and it's kind of funny, but that was, I think, really the beauty of Don Shula is that he had the ability to stay focused and to stay with something because so many people get bored, you know, they want to fix it or they, they overthink it or they, and he was just about, you're going to master these plays. You're going to know them inside out. You're going to be able to run these plays intuitive. When I, when I first started playing, which was 1993, I'm like, this is easy. I, I remember going, 
because because you you know until you play in the NFL you go what is it really like and I just remember I mean other than the first play that I threw for an interception for a touchdown <laughs> the tire fell down by the way just so- <laughs> oh, oh, <laughs> we just talked to Irv oh man <laughs> but, uh, but I just I just came in and I was like I know this it wasn't bigger than me and it, and I knew it because I I had practiced it and I'd lived it and I've watched it and it never changed in the, in the four year, or it was really three years before I, before I ever really got a chance to play. And so that was, I think the beauty of Shula is he could just stay with something. And, and, uh, you know, I go to other teams and like, they put in 15, 20, 30 new plays every week. Oh, we got to do. And it's like, what about our offense that we, we use all the time? I mean, why shouldn't that hold up? You know, and a lot of coaches just don't believe it will. Yeah, Scott, I was going to talk about, you know, at 1993, our lives changed a lot. I mean, mine, of course, that was the year I got drafted. And you, of course, you talk about the time that we went to Cleveland. And for me, it was like a dream. But for me, to be, it was a dream to be drafted by the Dolphins. And I was telling Big Seth that, you know, I, I knew I wasn't going to play a lot then because, you know, we had Irvin Fryer at that point. We had Mark yeah. Ingram at that point. Tony yeah. Mark, we, Duke was hell. Well, he was still in that, that mini camp and everything. And because of that, you know, I spent most of my time on scout teams. So you and I had a lot of work before, you know, we got that opportunity or you got that opportunity in Cleveland, man. And uh, everything changed for everybody in that minute, man. Uh, so you talked a little bit about that, man. Walk us through that experience. When the, you know, when you, you say you didn't get an opportunity until 93, you've been there for a little while, then all of a sudden you're thrust into the limelight as a Miami Dolphins quarterback. You know, so many people go, man, you were just at the right place at the right time. You were so lucky. You know, you you hit it right. You became a free agent. And I'm like, man, there was no luck involved in that whatsoever. I begged to go play in the World League, right? Which, mm. you know, if you're a real NFL player, like that's humiliating. And I was like, I'll do anything. Like I seriously, whatever I have to do to get on the field and play, because I don't get a lot of reps and I don't have a lot of opportunities and one, and and this was another thing that Marino said. He says, "When you do get your opportunity, you better make it work. Like, as you you don't get second chances in the NFL. If you don't make an impression, see you later. Like, it, there's you know, it's it's a tough thing to be break into and a tough thing to stay into. And he even said that when I went to the world. He goes, "If you if you suck at the world league, dude, you might as well just go home. <laughs> <laughs> like, you better play. You better do well, right?" And, and it, but it's true, right? So, so I work, I used to go out uh, before games because I knew all the coaches would be sitting out, you know, early and I knew I was never going to play. And so I'd go out with uh, one of the front office people and we were, we were buddies and he was about my age and, and I would, I would throw, I would throw all the routes and I was just hoping that maybe some coach might see, you know, Hey, wow, who's that guy, man? He looks pretty good. You know, maybe we could, we could trade for him or something. Cause but when I when I went in the first game with with the Dolphins, I had worked my butt off. I was so ready for that time. And the night before, I don't know if you know this, OJ, I was in the hospital. Like I we we I got sick on the airplane flying to Cleveland, so they took me to the hospital and they said, "There's no way you'll play in the game." Was it like a food wow. poisoning thing? It was. Uh, it was. They they said it was pink eye. Oh wow! Well, I, and, I did and, not I, know that. I was puking. I had a. They put me in my own room in the hotel. I didn't sleep the entire night. Like, yeah. I was up all night. Now, maybe some other guys, that's a normal thing. You know, I don't know. <laughs> I needed my sleep. And so I remember looking up at the ceiling, laying in my bed about 4 o'clock in the morning going, 
this will be the game that Dan Marino gets hurt. Oh, and I won't, I won't get to play. In fact, when I was in the hospital and the doctor said, hey, look, he can't play tomorrow. The, the, the athletic trainer goes, oh, it, it doesn't matter. He doesn't play anyways. You know, he's just oh. he's, he's So when I, I went to breakfast and uh, Dr. Canal goes, you know, how you feel? And I said, well, I didn't have any sleep. I feel better today so I could play in an emergency. And he says, great. He said, just dress. Don't warm up and stay away from everyone. So I didn't, I went on the field in my uniform. <laughs> Think about it. I didn't stretch. Oh my I didn't goodness. throw a pass. I didn't, I did nothing. I was like some dude in the stands, you know, just, just sitting there on the sideline, you know? And when Marino gets hurt and Chula turns to me, and goes, Mitchell, you're in. I go, I can't, I can't believe that. Like I've, I've worked so hard for this moment and it's here. And like, I'm not ready. Like, I, I how do I warm up? Like, how do you warm up in four minutes? And it got so funny, I just started to laugh. And I go in to play, and my first play is an interception for a touchdown, right? And I, I know everyone's like, oh, <laughs> it's over. You know, he's not Dan Marino. He's sick. You know, he's never played. This is this is going to be an ugly day. And what people don't realize is, is we got the ball back, right? Because you throw an interception for a touchdown, you get the ball back, right? So the next play, I throw a pass. We're in the two-minute drill, and I throw another interception. But the guy was just barely out of bounds. Oh and so goodness. it was an incompletion. But it's like, this guy's like over. And this is just, and, and I go in the, I go in the, in the locker room and, and it, old Cleveland Browns municipal stadium locker room is like, it's like a cracker box. Like it's it is, so so, it's awful. And I remember looking around the room and I, and coach Shula is like, everything's going to be fine. We're going to be, you know, Mitch is going to be fine. We're going to be fine. And I looked around and I could say, no one believes this. Like, all like oh, this is this is a bad deal right here. <laughs> I go, I go onto the field, first play. We're in the huddle, and I look at everybody and I just say, "Don't worry about me. Just do your job. I'm fine. I'm ready for this. Just do your job, and we're going to be just fine." And I ended up being the AFC Offensive Player of the Week the first time I played, and I threw I threw a couple more touchdown passes. You know, we won the game. But there was a moment, and this this ranks up as like one of the top moments in my life. I was walking out of the huddle, and we were going to the line of scrimmage, and I'm looking at the Cleveland Browns defense, and I look over, and there's Clay Matthews, right? Clay Matthews played forever. You know, it's one of those names in the NFL. And I looked over right at him, and I just said in my head, I own Clay Matthews today. I love it. And in that moment, it's like – I belong here. And I realized like, cause I can't tell you how many times in my life I dreamt about being an NFL player and about playing. And, and it's like, it's like the dream of a lifetime. And here I was like living it. Like it, my dream had become a reality right in that moment, even though I'd been on the team and I, you know, I'd been around and for three years, this is my fourth year. It was that moment when I go, I belong. And, and I'm telling you, one of the coolest moments in my life. Wow, Unbelievable! I love that I own Clay Matthews. <laughs> yeah, I, I want that. I want that to be the, the title of this podcast yeah. episode, by the way, Scott. But that was so great, well, Scott. You man. know, I was a Browns fan growing up, man. I, I know a lot about Clay and them boys, man. It was so much fun for me to be in that game too. Yeah, that's, that's good stuff, man. 
That's great. So, so, you know, Danny didn't just go down because he stubbed his toe, right? It's a torn Achilles. He's done for the season. And, and now you're the guy you win the player of the week award. How much of a whirlwind was that for you, Scott? I mean, you go from having eight career pass attempts to you step in and now you're the starting quarterback, of the Miami dolphins. You've just replaced Superman. Uh, You've got a really good football team and there's like an entire city counting on you now. And, 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 and you're having success. It's not like you're going out. There. I mean, you're playing well. That had to just be a whirlwind because you went from, from all this time that you, like you said, you're begging to go to play in Orlando in the World League. And now all of a sudden, all of this. Well, part of what really helped me or one of the things was like nobody cared who I was until I started playing. And I'm like, oh, I, I see what this is all about. You know, as long as I'm in this position, then I'm, I'm important. And as soon as I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going to be important anymore. So I kind of, I, I, I kind of saw that side of it uh, for what it was. And I knew, I knew what put me on the field, what kept me on the field. And that's what I really focused on is, is just kind of being cordial and, and dealing with a lot of that stuff. But I, I just know that I was very, I was very prepared for it. And we had a tremendous team. Yeah. And I was so relaxed and I, I was so comfortable. And, and again, I, I was so shocked at how easy it actually was. And, and it's not easy. Like it, it is not easy, but man, I was, I was so prepared for it. And, and I was, I was just in an environment with a good system, a quarterback friendly system and great player. I mean, we had just great player, Keith Byers, Keith Jackson, you know, all these guys, I mean, OJ, you know, he's trying to get on the field. But yeah, right. Think about that. Those are some great players. And it was funny because Marino goes, you know, he was so good to me. He really was. And then and he goes, look, don't worry. My The first game I started, I threw three interceptions. I was terrible. So if you're terrible, it's okay. You know, you're going to be, you know. And I just remember thinking in my head, I'm not going to throw three interceptions. Like I'm not, because you know he was a rookie when he when he went in. It was a little different deal, right? And uh, and and then I ended up being the player of the month, the AFC player of the month for November, right. you know? and it right. was like, you know, or October, and it was it was it was like I'm, so I'm just telling you, it was just like, all right, let's go. And then I got injured, and and I had a third degree separation on my left throwing shoulder. And it, uh, oh man, it it was, it was so hard because we were in such a groove, you know, we, we really were in such a groove and that whole team just had injury after injury, you know, and I mean, a lot of it started when Marino got hurt, but that was a really good football team. And I really think had that team actually been completely healthy, you know, probably would have contended to, to, to go and and, uh, win a Super Bowl. and then when I came back, like they, they initially told me, they said, you're done. Like, you're going to have to have surgery. You know, this is a 16 week process. And I, I managed to get back on the field after I think three or four games, but my arm was a rag. Like it, I, I was not anywhere close to healthy and, and you just, you'd lose that timing with everyone. And it was just so hard to get it back. I mean, I think we were, we were nine and two after the snow angel game in Dallas on Thanksgiving yeah. best record in the NFL, like, and, and lose the next five games, don't make the playoffs. And, and so that, that wasn't that team. And, and they're just a lot, a lot of injuries, but um, 
you know, this, this football is a humbling sport. You know, you can be on top in one minute and then on the bottom just as quickly. And, and uh, it, it deserves your respect, your attention and your reverence. And, and I think that's one thing that I, you know, I learned uh, throughout my career, you know, if you're not working hard and harder than the next guy, that guy is going to run you over. And uh, uh, so, you know, you live and you learn those things as you go along, but, and, and I really seriously, I talked to my agent. I said, I don't want to leave here. I really don't want to leave here. And, and, and he goes, no, you don't understand. Like I got a $5 million signing bonus and they gave me a check, you know, and I'd never seen that much money in my life. And it was, it was like, it was life-changing for me. I couldn't believe how many zeros on the back, you know, just the zeros just kept going, you know? And, and yet if I'd have known what I know and believe now, I really, I'm, I'm, I would have strongly considered staying with the Dolphins because I was familiar. It was a system. It was a place that I loved because Detroit, it ain't a friendly place. Mm. Like <laughs> I got booed for five years at home in, in introductions. And I had good years and we had good teams. We went to the playoffs and, um, it was a it was a tough deal, really tough deal. Man, so so Scott, we had we had great Cody on the show recently, and, yeah. and and right around the time of all this all this was happening, he wrote a column, you know, stating right. it was time to consider the possibility of of trading Dan yeah. or moving forward with you at the quarterback position. How much attention, uh, you know, were you paying to this? And then that, you know, as the season went or came to a close, and you had to think about what your future was going to be about in the NFL. But you talked about you wanted to stay. Were, I mean, was that ever a consideration, considering what was going on with the, the narrative around Dan Marino's career? It, it would have been interesting to have stayed because Dan came back, had a tremendous year. You know, he kept playing, uh, didn't, you know, and, and, and he wasn't the same player. You know, I mean, it was, you know, just it, 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 he was he was a different player. You could see just him dropping back and, throw, you know, I mean, it still had the same fire and. I just tell you, no one had a greater fire than Dan. Like he was just, it was just, it was fun to watch him serious. Like it was entertaining. Uh, actually, I used to tell people, sorry, I'm going in a rabbit hole here. I used to tell people, man, don't watch what's on the field. Like watch the sidelines, watch, watch Shula and Marino get into it or or Marino get into it. Just watch Marino get into it with anybody. Right. <laughs> and then he'll come back later and, Oh man, I'm sorry. I just get really competitive. You know, I just, you know, don't take it personal, you know, but, um, I, I, there's probably it, I'm just telling you going back to, to leaving Miami, there was discussions about it, like staying, right. It, it was just so much more money. Like, it's like, how do you turn down that money? You know? And, and, and right. at the time it was a lot of money Oh yeah. and, and it's like, you know, and, and it's a chance for you to go, and be a starter and be out of the shadow of Dan Marino and, and, and all that stuff. But um, I, I just learned later. It's not, it's not if you're a good or bad player, it's if you're a player that fits well into a system and with a coach and a structure, that's where you're really going to see uh, success. And, and I, I, I refer to a guy like Steve young, who he was with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and he was nowhere near a hall of fame quarterback with the Buccaneers. And then he got traded to the Niners and it changed, it changed his fortune. And you see it, you know, Brett Favre would languish in Atlanta with Jerry Glanville. I mean, Jerry Glanville didn't even like Brett Favre. 
and and then he goes to Green Bay and he really flourishes and just has a you know the right system that fits him and that's that's what I look going back is that system I loved it I loved being in it I, it was amazing I love just I love South Florida I love playing there I loved you know I love my teammates like like I think so fondly of these guys and and uh, and and so you know there's a lot to be said about maybe taking less money um, and, and getting in the right situation. And, you know, I was young. I, I, I don't think I was even mature enough to make a decision like that. I was going to say, how do you know that, right? Yeah. You're, you're no. this close to your dream of being that guy and all that money. And, you know, you said it was a lot of money back then relative to now. It, it, it doesn't seem like it, but that's still a lot of, I mean, $11 yeah. million dollar contract, right? Sure. I mean, that's still a lot of money. So, I mean, how could you have the perspective now that you have? Yeah, it, you know, I mean, yeah. it's impossible. If they hadn't have gotten injured, you know, and, and that would have played out. And yeah. it, 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 it may have been a different scenario. You know, yeah. the Dolphins may have gone and said, look, we're going to make this move. You know, the NFL is, you, you know, you don't want to keep guys till they're past their prime. You want to keep them to a point where, you know, the 49ers did that brilliantly. The Cowboys used to do that. You know, they they would – um, you know, get rid of guys that still had some value and, and, and keep the team competitive. So you don't go through this big cycle of ups and downs. Yeah. In fairness to Greg Cody, who, who, you know, did talk about it here. He was like, look, that, that wasn't an anti Marino column. Like no. I love, I, I have, you know, reverence for Dan Marino, but it was more of, could you go get a lion's share because he still had value. And at that point in time, uh, you know, Tom Brady plays till he's, 40 who knows whatever at that point in time a guy's in his 11th year and coming off this mysterious achilles injury so it's just really interesting perspective all the way around but you talked about detroit right so you go there and i apologize i'm going to kind of fast forward through two-thirds of your career here but you know just kind of um you address the fact it was a tough place to play you had a 4,000 yard season the 30 plus yard touchdowns the whole things and 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 this idea that you got booed literally every every time you went out there It, it is crazy but I, I read, Scott, that you said that when you retired after a 12-year NFL career, that when you retired, you felt like a failure, yeah. which is pretty heavy stuff to, to read for a guy. I mean, the average career is three and a half years, you know, right. and you did the things that you did and, and, and that you felt like a failure. And then that feeling of failure, the frustration with your career obviously led to some other challenges in your life. And, and many of them manifested into you know, we talked about it before we get on the show here, but it manifested into this significant, the, the, the weight gain. Yeah. And, you know, for a guy who's a big guy, he's six, six, you know, six, six and a half, 250 pounds was your playing weight. Now all of a sudden you're 360 plus pounds and you but, find yourself on a reality show. Yeah. Uh, that, that was something that I reluctantly didn't want to do. You know, I really didn't. And, um, I, well, let me, let me go back to feeling like, you know, you failed in your career. And, and I think you can ask any player. Uh, I think you could ask Dan Marino this, that you know, there's probably more you could have done. Like, like he goes, I, I never get, I never got to win a Super Bowl. I don't know what that's like. And for me, that was all, that's all I wanted. <laughs> like, like, like I never looked at like, okay, what's, you know, what's my career look like, you know? And I always looked at like, man, I just want to win. Hmm. I just want to win the Super Bowl. And when I played, I go, I'm not going to the Super Bowl until I, until I go as a player. Right. I, right. I, I wasn't right. going to give myself the pleasure of that. 
and, and it's just it's just how you're wired, right? You're just wired to be competitive. And and you go, give me another game. Like, give me another quarter, give me another throw, whatever, whatever it is, I'll get it done. You know, you're just you're just wired that way. And and it really never you're never satisfied with it. And I think that's part of what keeps you around, what keeps you going. When I was done at 12 years, I still physically could play. I just didn't have anyone that wanted to sign me. And, mm. and I'm telling you, that's worse than having an injury that I would have rather had my leg snapped off. So it's like, nope, you can't ever play again. As opposed to, no, I, I can still play, but you guys are just not letting me. That was hard. And it was really hard to deal with. And I actually came to terms with all of this failure or feeling like I was a failure when I went on this reality TV show. And it was, it was a humbling experience. And, and I think it, what, what I really got from it, this is very real to me. I mean, it's, it's, it's all it is is a reality TV game show, right? You go on this game show and whoever loses the most weight wins a prize at the end. I mean, that's, that's how it works. But for me, it was, it was like real as rain. You know, it was, it was a very personal journey for me. And really, it was about surrendering to um, your weakness and surrendering to being humble. And the thing that like is so challenging for you, if you will, if you will turn to it and just surrender, it's where you really find strength. And and for me, I, why I was so reluctant is I, I just knew people would probably take shots at me. Look at that guy. Look what. You know, look what happened to him. He let himself go. You know, he's, he looks terrible. He looks awful. And it, and for me, it was quite the opposite. It's like I was willing to take those shots or whatever people were going to say uh, because it's, it, it, it's something in my life I have struggled with. And it's the darndest thing in the world. And it really is. In fact, I, I have stuff here right next to me uh, working on, you know, losing, uh, getting in a healthy state. So it's been, it's continues and has been a struggle for me, but it's, it's one where I, I just said, you know, I've, I've got to accept that I can't do this on my own, that I need help from other people. I, I, it's just the thing that in my life, that's a challenge. And what I learned on the show was those, those failures, those moments in your life that aren't the most pleasant or you didn't succeed at actually are the things that um, are the greatest blessings. Because you find so much more about yourself and who you are and what you're made of, what you're capable of in those moments than you would if everything was just kind of hunky-dory. And so I, I really treasure uh, some of those those tougher, more painful moments in my life. And, and they, they really helped me realize more of who I am and what I'm made of and developed a lot of things in my life that I, I cherish. You know, I... I like who I am. I like what I've become in my life. And, and so much of that came out of those moments that maybe were disappointments or deemed maybe failures. Wow. I appreciate you sharing that. Man. That's incredible, man. Yeah, it, it I mean, is. I mean, there's a lot of people that can uh, learn from that right there, man. You know, mm -hmm. I, I, that's, 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 that's great stuff, man. And, I, and it's always for everybody. I think it's a constant battle with things in life, man. And, to, to, to hit it head on, bro, and, and face it head on, man. That's, uh, I mean, I, you know, I, I got my own, my own issues and battles. I know how you feel, bro, about having those those failures. Look, we all came up a little short when it came to the football field. Most people do, right? I mean, hell, there's only a few world champions out there, man. And you know, I know it's always tough, man, when you're in the most high 
profile position in sports for the most part, you know. So yeah, it's it's, it's very good stuff to to hear you you know face that head on, man, and and, and deal with it, man, for sure. Yeah, no, no doubt. And, and I don't mean to. No, thank man. you for sharing no, that. Thank and you. I, I, yeah. I don't mean to flip a serious moment into something funny, but I, I did it after all of that. Well, first of all, let's just say this, right? So the show was the biggest loser. Yeah. He lost 124 pounds on the yeah. show. So it wasn't like he went on and got voted off the island in the first week or whatever. You know, 124 pounds is absolutely incredible. Yeah. But, Drew, so apparently, and tell me if this is true, Scott, apparently you're sitting at home watching television with your mother after all of this. And Danny comes on television with a Nutrisystem commercial, and he's bragging about losing 22 pounds. And your mom turns to you. This is the best thing, Juice. And she says, you're better than Dan Marino. Yeah, right. He only lost 22 yeah, pounds. 102 <laughs> pounds better. He ain't nothing. He ain't shit. Is that a true story? <laughs> yeah, there's another one that's actually kind of funny, too. Um, my my mom, like, she's a straight shooter. Like, she just – she told you how it was. And uh, she, she – um, she called me one Sunday and she lived in Arizona, I live in Utah. And she said, this new family came to church and I went up to them after it was over. And I introduced myself and I said, Hey, I just love families with all these boys, you know, and the, the, the family had five boys. And so the mom introduces her boys and she goes, this is our oldest. His name is Daniel Scott. And um, we named him my husband's favorite quarterback in the NFL is Dan Marino. And then we were at the University of Utah when uh, Scott Mitchell was there. Oh, my God. So my mom goes, well, Scott's my son, right? Unbelievable. So they have this moment. My mom calls me. And so I asked my mom, it's like, man, how come I got the middle name? <laughs> <laughs> and my mom goes, because Dan Marino was better than you. <laughs> oh, man. She's a straight shooter for real. She, well, yeah. maybe was, what Danny told you back in the day, or that when she yeah. cried that day when you were, <laughs> maybe all all of our mothers went through that moment. I don't know. Yeah. So oh man, <laughs> yep, she uh, she did. Well, Scott, man, we've kept you a long time, man, man. But That's having so you on our show, man, we uh, you know, we end every episode of our podcast, what we call the fish tank two minute drill. Now we've had some defensive guys I talked about that, you know, Seth that brings these defensive guys on and they, they, they haven't handled it very well. They do not do well. They do not do very well, but now we got a quarterback in the tank, big Seth. Yeah. And so today I expect the two minute drill to run smooth, well-oiled machine here. You know, so what we're going to do, Scott, we're going to put two minutes on the clock and uh, you've got one timeout. Okay. And we're going to fire off some quick hitting questions, and we're all going right. to see how we come up, how we come out right here. All right, you ready? Yeah, let's do it. All right, Big Seth, right. get it started. Here we go. Okay, we talked about Tua at the top of the show. There have actually been ninety-three left-handed touchdowns thrown uh, in the history of the Miami Dolphins franchise, at least that I could document. Maybe I'm missing some, but ninety-three. So Tua's got seventy-six and counting. By the time this airs, hopefully he's got more than seventy-six because it'll be after Monday. Uh, you had twelve. Jim Dalgazo in 1972 threw two touchdowns. Okay. And the question is, can you name either of the two non-quarterbacks who tossed the remaining three left-handed touchdowns? One was a teammate of yours. Uh, Keith Byers. Oh, There's easy. one of them. That was a layup, Seth. That's yeah. good. Really good. Another, okay. another non-left-handed quarterback? A, a non-quarterback who was left-handed and threw touchdowns. Oh. He actually threw two. But it was wow. much later. Yep. I'll give you a hint. Wildcat. Wildcat. Oh, uh, Ricky Williams. 
Ro- well, it was Ronnie one. Brown. It was Ronnie, Ronnie Brown because yep. he was the one under center. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Love it. All right. Okay. All right. It's a wide out. I'm a big That's believer right. that you gotta you gotta look good to play good. Yes. What uniform did you look best in? The Utah red, Dolphin aqua, Detroit blue, Cincinnati Bengal tiger stripes, or the Orlando Thunder lime green? Oh man, I hated the lime green. That was actually uh, the owner of the team was a bathing suit manufacturer, and it's his wife's favorite color of bathing suit. That's unbelievable. The day that that color would be really in, but there, there's nothing better than the the Miami Dolphin. Man. Yeah, I love nice. it. I don't that's think anybody nice. listening to this is going to argue with you on that one. Okay, anyone who follows you on social media, Scott, they will see the adventures of Red Hat. Oh yeah. You got to tell us about Red Hat and what's the craziest place Red Hat has been to? Uh, Red, Red Hat is actually on his way to K2 to actually go. So um, it's it's all a part of uh, just building a social. I hate being on social media. <laughs> it was just a fun way for me to kind of get into these crazy things. And Red, Red Hat's got some um, he's got some crazy things that uh, are going to happen. But, uh, yeah, he's he's going to hike uh, hike. Uh, K2. So, wow. Nice, nice. Yeah. All right. We talked about Dan Marino. What was the most impact, impactful piece of advice that Dan Marino gave you during your time from this Hall of Fame quarterback? What was the most impactful advice he gave you? I know you talk about pick a guy and let it fly. You know, it's not, you know what I mean? What's the nah. most impactful thing? So, he said, drop back as fast as you can. And, and actually, Johnny Unitas shared that same information with, um, with uh, Dan Fouts. Oh, wow. and, and he says there's something about dropping back as fast as you possibly can. It just gives you that little bit of extra time to see what's going on. But it also creates a sense of urgency within yourself. And, and it's the truest thing in the world. And it would be the first and last and most important thing I ever ever taught a quarterback now they they're all in a shotgun that's what i'm about to say they really got back fast (laughs) (laughs) that's the two minute drill they do that yeah that's right that's probably why they do that now they're already back there right (laughs) that's exactly right oh great stuff scott thank you so much man and i gotta say for for the advice it's funny to hear this so you know you're there from 90 to 93 telling these things that danny said and yeah. they just asked Tua recently, hey, when when Dan's sitting in there, what's the best advice he's giving you? And he said, yeah, Danny tells us all the time, pick a guy and let it fly. So, I mean, that hasn't changed. The game <laughs> may have changed. That advice hasn't changed. But but this was really wonderful. I appreciate you, you know, A, answering the call so quickly, but but really sharing so much of your story, man, you know, the really some of the personal stuff. And, and uh, I think that Dolph fans are going to look back and really reflect on this and smile. I, I truly enjoyed this, Scott, man. This was so good, man. It's great to catch up, man. And I uh, definitely appreciate you, man. I know that work we had to put in on the other field sometime when those other guys were on Club Med, I called it, you know, doing their work. <laughs> but you got you got in there pretty much right away in my rookie year, man. So I appreciate you, man. Yeah, this has been fun. Thank you very much. Thanks for diving in, Scott. You're now diving into the fish tank. Just like Drew said, thanks for diving into the fish tank presented by iHeartRadio. Be sure to follow us on whatever streaming platform you're using, and don't be afraid to rate the show or leave us a comment. We love your feedback. And remember, you can find us as well as Drive Time with Travis Wingfield and all of our international partners on MiamiDolphins.com. Dive up in that fish tank.